we are concluding our study on Hebrews called Jesus the Mediator of a New Testament or a New Covenant. This is teaching number 64, and it's called Did Paul Write Hebrews? We're going to look at external evidence, and then we're going to look at internal evidence to see if Paul may be the writer of Hebrews. We're going to begin with external evidence from church history that Paul wrote Hebrews. Early church writers such as Origen, Clement, Pontanus, Ambrose, Rufinus, and Eusebius all ascribe Hebrews to Paul, and those were some early church writers. There are some early church historians that don't ascribe Hebrews to Paul, but there's a good many that do. One of the ones is Clement of Alexandria. He was an early Christian writer who lived from 150 to 215 AD. It was his understanding that Paul originally wrote Hebrews in the Hebrew language, and then Luke translated it into the Greek language. Some of the early church writers believe Hebrews was written by Luke alone, having heard Paul's teachings so many times, and he would have heard these teachings on these missionary journeys with Paul. And so having heard Paul's teachings, which would have been a series of teachings maybe that Paul did that we're actually reading in the book of Hebrews, that Luke wrote down those teachings of Paul, put them into the Greek language so that people could understand this new covenant of grace that we have. That's the external evidence from church history that Paul possibly could have written Hebrews. There's internal evidence from the Bible that Paul wrote Hebrews, and that's what we're going to spend the majority of our time on tonight. Paul's education in the Jewish scriptures, in the Old Testament of law, and in the New Testament of grace, we're going to see this within the Bible that we have, this internal evidence from the Bible that Paul truly understood the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament of law, and the New Testament of grace. And the writer of Hebrews would have had to be very, very knowledgeable, have a very firm grasp on the Jewish scriptures, on the Old Testament of law, and the New Testament of grace. That it wasn't any ordinary person writing Hebrews. It was somebody who was very knowledgeable, very intellectual, very smart, who wrote this book. And as you read the book of Hebrews, you can see the detail in the book and, and how educated that person was. So let's take a look at how Paul's education developed as it relates to the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament of law, and the New Testament of grace. We're going to look at how Paul's education developed in these three areas that enabled him to qualify as the one who possibly wrote Hebrews. Paul's education in Jewish scripture and the Old Testament of law began at home. Paul was taught in a Jewish home. He was raised in a Jewish home. His dad was a Pharisee. That's Acts 23.6. Paul was from Tarsus, which is a well-known city for its Greek educational system. So the city that Paul was from was a highly educational system. So his home was highly educational. In this Jewish home, Paul would have learned Jewish theology. 
He would have learned from his dad. He would have learned from the synagogue that they were committed to being at every Sabbath. So Paul was raised from a child to understand Jewish scripture, to understand Jewish theology, to understand the Old Testament of law. Very, very familiar with Jewish theology. And then again, from Tarsus, a highly educated city in the Roman Empire. Now, Paul was taught by Gamaliel. Gamaliel was probably the leading Jewish theology during Paul's day. And you can look in Acts 5.34, Acts 22.2-3, Acts 23.6, Acts 26.4-5, Galatians 1.14 about Paul being educated by Gamaliel. Let me back up real quick just to give you guys the verses for Paul being raised in a Jewish home. Acts 23, 6, and then from Tarsus, this well-known city for its Greek educational system, would be Acts 21, 39, and Acts 22, 3. And then we just went over the verses of Paul being raised by Gamaliel, who was just a renowned Jewish theologian, and Paul was one of his star students. Paul writes in Galatians 1.14, he was exceeding far beyond the average student in Judaism. He was an up-and-coming student of Jewish theology, and if he would have stayed on track, probably would have been a, a Jewish theologian. So Paul was taught in a Jewish home. He was taught by Gamaliel, a great Jewish scholar. But then things turn a little bit with Paul, which is really interesting, is Paul was taught by God himself. And we read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through chapter 6, verse 2. Especially the opening verses of 2 Corinthians 3, where Paul says that God made him competent as a teacher of the new covenant of grace. So Paul's competency to teach this New Testament of grace that we learned about in Hebrews over the past what, 63 studies or so, Paul's ability to teach the New Testament came from God. He comprehended this New Testament of grace, his ability to comprehend it, his ability to communicate it, all came from God. And we see in Galatians chapter 1, it was for that very purpose that God set him apart in his mother's womb. So Paul was set aside in the womb of his mother, according to Galatians chapter 1, for the express purpose of teaching the gospel of grace and this new covenant of grace. The gospel of grace and the new covenant of grace are a little different. The, the new covenant of grace is in the gospel of grace, but it's not the complete gospel of grace. The gospel of grace includes, it includes Jew and Gentiles in one family of grace. That's what Paul writes about in Ephesians. This, the Jews and the Gentiles who came to faith in Jesus would now be in one family of grace, minus the law of Moses. The New Testament, or the New Covenant that Jeremiah prophesies about in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, gives no hint that Jew and Gentile would be in the same family. There's no hint of that. We see that in Ephesians, and Paul calls it the mystery. 
this mystery made known to me by revelation of Jew and Gentile being in one body. So the gospel of grace not only includes the message of the New Testament of grace, but it also includes the, the message of Jew and Gentile in one family of grace. Now, Paul was taught by God, 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 6, 2, about the, the new covenant of grace and about this mystery of Jew and Gentile in one family of grace that we see in Ephesians. We see that Paul was taught by the ascended Jesus. Paul is the only person that we see in Scripture that was taught by Jesus over a period of time. And that may be where the writer of Hebrews, if it is Paul, gets that deep understanding of this New Testament of grace that few, if any, had other than Paul. He very well could have got it, the writer of Hebrews, from the ascended Jesus if the writer of Hebrews was Paul. Because the writer of Hebrews had a very thorough knowledge and understanding of this New Testament of grace that probably nobody else had during his time. So let's look a little bit more closely at Paul's encounter with the ascended Jesus and his education by Jesus, which there's nowhere in Scripture that anyone else had that type of teaching, that the ascended Jesus literally spent time with somebody opening their heart, opening their minds, to understand this new covenant of grace. The earthly Jesus spent time with the two men on the road to Emmaus, helping them understand the Jewish scriptures about the coming of the Christ. And then the ascended Jesus spends large amounts of time with Paul, helping him connect the old and the new covenant and helping him really see that Jesus is the Messiah and understand this new Testament of grace. We're gonna start with Paul's encounter with the ascended Jesus. Luke in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 31, he recorded Paul's encounter with Jesus while Paul was on the road to Damascus. Luke also recorded Paul's conversation with Jesus in Acts 26, 15 through 18. So this is the ascended Jesus appearing to Paul and communicating with Paul, Acts 26, 15 through 18. And here's what Jesus says to Paul. Again, again, this is the ascended Jesus. Paul never met the earthly Jesus. At least there's no indication in Scripture, and Paul never hints that he did. Paul only met Jesus after the ascension on the appearance on the road to Damascus and then other appearances. But let's read about this initial appearance of the ascended Jesus to Paul in Acts 26, 15 through 18. Luke records this. Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the you being Paul, the Lord uh, replied. Acts 26, 16, now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness. And here's what I want us to see of what you have seen. And then this is the part to really pay attention to and will see of me. So there's indication there in Jesus's words to Paul that this was not going to be the only appearance of the ascended Jesus to Paul. There was going to be ongoing appearances. And we'll see that in these ongoing appearances of Jesus to Paul, the ascended Jesus, that he educated Paul about the New Testament of grace more thoroughly. 
He educated Paul about the gospel of grace, Jew and Gentile in one body, the family of grace. So the reason Paul has such a depth of understanding, which we see in Romans, is because he had spent so much time with the ascended Jesus. So that when we read Romans and this teaching of grace in Romans, it's the ascended Jesus and his education to Paul now flowing through Paul and he's writing Romans. He has a grasp of the gospel of grace that no one else had. Peter said that Paul writes things that are difficult to understand. Paul had a tremendous grasp of the New Testament of grace, of the gospel of grace, of righteousness by faith, of law and grace. It's because he spent so much time with the ascended Jesus. And Jesus said that he would. He said, he said, Paul, I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and what you will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to, to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins. That's a new message that we didn't hear until Paul comes on the scene. We see Peter communicating that message in Acts chapter 10, around verse maybe 43, 44. But Paul had spent time with Peter prior to Acts chapter 10 and very well could have educated Peter more fully about the New Testament of grace and the gospel of grace. And Peter had not yet to see it until Paul spent time with Peter. Paul alludes to spending time with Peter in Galatians chapter 1. I think it says he spent 15 days with Peter. So it could have been in those 15 days that Paul poured into Peter a, a deeper understanding of forgiveness, that forgiveness is by faith, received by faith, which is what Jesus told Paul to go teach. We see Paul teaching that in Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. So as scripture unfolds and as the education of the New Testament of grace, the gospel of grace is spread among people, you begin to see some things changing in Scripture. And one of the changes is that forgiveness is received by faith that came directly from the ascended Jesus to Paul in this first appearance and in more likely ongoing appearances. So after Jesus initially appeared to Paul, he told Paul to go into the city of Damascus and there Jesus would tell Paul what to do, and Jesus would tell Paul what to do through Ananias. Jesus appears to Ananias, and Ananias is told to go to Damascus to find Paul, and then Ananias would tell Paul what Jesus had instructed Paul to do as Ananias carried the message from Jesus to Paul. And, and that's uh, just for verses and references, Acts chapter 9, 10 through 19, when Jesus appeared to Ananias and told him where to find Paul in Damascus and then what to tell Paul. Now, Paul in Acts 22, 14 through 15 provides additional information about what Jesus told Ananias. And here's what Ananias was told by Jesus to tell Paul, and now Paul is telling us in Acts 22, 14 through 15. Then he, Ananias, said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you 
Remember, God is the one who educated Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses starting with verse 1, made him competent as a minister or as a communicator or as an educator of the New Testament of grace that we read about in Hebrews. So here's what Paul says that Ananias told him in Acts 22, 14 through 15. The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one. That was a Jewish description of the Messiah. You can find that in the Jewish scriptures. Jeremiah calls the coming Messiah the righteous one. All right, that's the Christ. It's Jesus. The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. So Paul is getting a message from Ananias that Jesus is going to, to teach him to educate him about what God's will is. Well, we know the will of God in Hebrews is the establishment of the New Testament in the grace of God or in the blood of Jesus through the grace of God. So the will of God here has to be the communication of the New Testament that was established in the blood of Jesus that brought complete forgiveness of sins and complete righteousness that's received by faith. So the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. That's the ascended Jesus appearing to Paul. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And again, you can read about that in Acts 26, 15 through 18, the ascended Jesus appearing to Paul, giving him this message of receiving forgiveness by faith, the forgiveness that the New Testament established in the blood of Christ that Jesus talks about in Matthew 26, 26 through 28, and Luke 22, verse 20, this, this is my blood poured out for the New Testament for the forgiveness of sins. Paul was going to go explain that to people. Paul was going to go educate people about more fully of what this New Testament is. And the way he would be educated is by Jesus, by the ascended Jesus. He would hear from Jesus a more full understanding of the New Testament of grace. So let's look at Paul's education by the ascended Jesus about the gospel of grace, Jew and Gentile in one body, and about this New Testament of grace, the blood of Jesus that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins when Jesus tasted death for everybody. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, it was by grace that Jesus went to the cross and died for all of us. So let's take a look at Paul's education by the ascended Jesus. Acts 18, 9 through 10 says this, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Here's an appearance. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one is going to attack or harm you because I have many people in this city. So what would have Paul been speaking about? Well, we can go back into Acts 18 and we can see exactly what he spoke about. One, he spoke that Jesus is the Messiah. And we also know from Acts 13, his message of justification by faith, righteousness by faith, receiving forgiveness by faith. And so that would have been the message of Paul, this new covenant message that Paul experienced explains in 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 6, 2, that God made him a competent communicator of. Paul was an ambassador of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 
18 through 21. And the message that he was an ambassador of speaking on behalf of Christ as God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. Why not? Because all of our sins were counted against Christ. And if all of our sins were counted against Christ, how many are left to be counted against us? None. And that was the message that Paul was speaking on behalf of Jesus, behalf of the ascended Jesus, this New Testament, New Covenant message that Jesus took our sinfulness at the cross, and now we've been given His righteousness as a free gift. And so Paul was under attack for that message. He was being slandered for that message, ridiculed for that message. He was being beat for that message. You can read about all this in Acts. And Paul needed to be encouraged. So not only did the ascended Jesus have an encounter with Paul, not only did the ascended Jesus educate Paul about this new covenant of grace, but at the same time, Jesus encouraged Paul because Paul was, was taking a beating verbally, spiritually, physically, and he needed encouragement. And so that's what we see Jesus doing for him in Acts 18, 9 through 10. It's this appearance of the ascended Jesus to Paul. Look what Paul writes about in Acts 20, 24. This is out of, out of the International Standard Bible. Paul said, I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord, from the Lord Jesus, to testify about the gospel of God's grace. So you notice he received that message, the gospel of grace, the gospel of God's grace from the ascended Jesus. And the assignment was to take that message all over the world. That was the heart of Paul, to take this message of grace, which is, to read more fully about it, it's the book of Romans. That is the message that Paul wrote about. It's the message that all your sins were counted against Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, removing the barrier of sin, not counting our sins against us because God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5.8. That's the message. We're, no, we're not under law. We're under grace. We're righteous. We're forgiven. We're accepted in Christ apart from works, apart from the law. It's Jesus did it all for us. We simply receive what he did. And Paul went with this message all over the world, but it wasn't his message. It was the message of the ascended Jesus that he was pouring into Paul. Nobody else got this education that Paul got. Galatians 1, verses 11 through 12. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. And the gospel is the gospel of grace. Remember, we just read it, Acts 20, 24. It's the gospel that Paul wasn't ashamed of in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It's the gospel of grace, of complete forgiveness and complete righteousness apart from the law. That's the gospel. That's what he writes about in, in Galatians. So in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 12, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. Peter didn't create it. James didn't create it. Uh, Mark didn't create it. Matthew didn't create it. Luke didn't create it. None of the disciples created it. Nobody on the earth created the gospel of grace. When people create some type of religious teaching, it's a works-based teaching. It always is. Every religion in the world is a works-based teaching. 
If you want to be right with the God of this religion, here's what you have to do. Only Christianity is the God of the world, the creator of the world, stepped down to us in the person of Christ, removed the sin barrier that kept people out of relationship with him, and then offers us very freely forgiveness and righteousness. That this God isn't waiting for us to ask him to forgive us. He's actually asking us to receive the forgiveness that he purchased for us at the cross. That's the gospel of grace that Paul preached. No human comes up with that. But the God of grace, who's revealed himself to us in Jesus, that's his heart. He wants to be reconciled to us in relationship. And he did everything to make that happen. There's nothing for us to do. Only receive by faith what he did. And that was Paul's message in Romans. That's his message in Galatians. That's his message in Ephesians. And we see the, the message communicated in 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Now, where did Paul get this message from? He said, well, I didn't get it from anybody on earth. He said, I did not receive it from any man, Luke, Matthew, Mark, Peter, James, John, Andrew, none of the Lord's disciples. They didn't teach me this message. Paul said, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it by any man. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ, the ascended Jesus, educating Paul about the New Testament of grace, about the gospel of grace that we see in Romans, that we see in Galatians, that we see in Ephesians, that we see in Hebrews, this all of our sins counted against Christ. Jesus was the final sacrifice for sins. At the cross, we've been forgiven fully and, and forever and cleansed of all sin by the blood of Christ. And we've been brought close to God. The writer of Hebrew, Hebrews talks about that. And Paul talks about that in Ephesians through the blood of Christ. What Paul writes in Ephesians 3, 1 through 6 about the ascended Jesus teaching him. Remember, Jesus said there's going to be ongoing revelations, Paul. There's going to be ongoing appearances. What you're seeing in me in this first appearance on the road to Damascus won't be the last appearance. You're going to have ongoing revelations from me. And that's where this gospel of grace came to Paul from the ascended Jesus that nobody else knew about until Paul got it and started communicating it. Ephesians 3, 1 through 6, Paul writes this, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace. So what was Paul's responsibility? To get out God's grace. It's God's grace. You can connect that to Acts chapter 20, verse 24, that Jesus gave Paul the revelation of God's grace. All right. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, given to me from the ascended Jesus to give to you, to give to the world, to explain to the world, to educate the world about. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation from Jesus. As I have already written briefly, Paul says, verse 4 of Ephesians 3. What is this mystery? In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, who Christ is, what he did at the cross, what was his, what was his death about, what did his death accomplish? I mean, the writer of Hebrews has a real, has real insight into what the blood of Jesus accomplished. Okay. Paul had tremendous insight into the person of Christ and into the work of Christ, and it was given to him by revelation. 
Paul says this insight, this revelation into the mystery of Christ was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So the revelation of this gospel of grace personally came to Paul from Jesus. Then at some point in time, the Spirit of God opened up the heart of the apostles, those who were speaking at this time as prophets, to understand this message. Paul got it first directly from Jesus, and then later the Spirit gave understanding and insight to others. This mystery is that through the gospel, the gospel of grace, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus, the righteous one that the Gentiles would share in all the promises of the Jewish scriptures about the coming Messiah. This great mystery here also is Jew and Gentile together in one family. That was unheard of. You can't find that anywhere unless you read Paul's writings. James doesn't talk about it. Peter doesn't talk about it. John doesn't talk about it. Only Jesus revealed that to Paul, and then the Spirit later revealed it to others. And that's where we begin to see that the law has been broken down. This dividing law of hostility, Ephesians chapter 2, it's been knocked down. God has one new family of grace, Ephesians chapter 2, where Jew and Gentile are equal together in the body of Christ. That's what the entire book of Ephesians is about, seeking to explain that to the, the church in Ephesus, where there are so many Jews and so many Gentiles coming to faith in Christ. Paul said, now listen, you're one family now leave the law at the door. Don't bring the law of Moses into the grace of Jesus. That's what Ephesians is about. Paul received additional revelations from Jesus, 2 Corinthians 12, 1. Paul says, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul calls these revelations, these surpassingly great revelations. Now, one of Paul's revelations from Jesus was the revelation of the New Testament of grace, of which the writer of Hebrews explains so eloquently, has a thorough grasp of the New Testament of grace. And again, when we say New Testament, we're not talking about books of the Bible. We're talking about the blood of Christ. When we say New Testament, we're not talking about Matthew chapter 1. We're talking about when Jesus was nailed to the cross. So the New Testament is not about books. It's about blood, all right? And that's how the scriptures understand New Testament. Paul was given the revelation of this New Testament of grace that Jeremiah said was coming, Jeremiah 31 through 34, that the writer of Hebrews explains in his book to a very Jewish audience who's still practicing the law. Jesus gave Paul this revelation, this understanding, this, this deeper awareness and understanding of the New Testament of grace. We see this in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 25. Look what Paul says. For I received from the Lord. That's really important to see when we read that scripture. For I received from the Lord. When? In these personal appearances by the ascended Jesus to Paul that nobody else received. That's why Paul writes most of the letters that happened 
after Jesus died, or records the events that happened after Jesus died. Paul takes center stage in Scripture after the death of Jesus. The center person, center, C-E-N-T-E-R, center. At the beginning of Acts, through about Acts chapter 9, it's the disciples, it's Peter, and then all of a sudden in Acts 9, things change. The ascended Jesus appears to Paul, and then in Acts 11, Paul takes center stage in the scene of grace, in the story of grace. He's going to communicate with the world what the ascended Jesus educated him about. And that put him at odds with a lot of folks, a lot of people, believers in Jesus and non-believers in Jesus. They, they were at odds with Paul. That's why Paul needed the encouragement of Jesus in that vision that he received in Corinth, Acts chapter 18. So he's writing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 25. And Paul says, for I received from the Lord firsthand, firsthand information. What I also passed on to you. And what is this message that Paul passed on to people in cities all over the place? The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. It's exactly what Jesus told the disciples in the upper room. My blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. That more than likely went right over the heads of, of the disciples. They probably didn't get it. They didn't get a lot of what Jesus said. And when Jesus said, this is the blood of the New Testament, it may have just went right over their heads and right past them because he was referring to Jeremiah 31 through 34 when a New Testament would replace the Old Testament of law, a New Testament of grace would replace the Old Testament of law. The New Testament would be about complete forgiveness and eternal forgiveness, whereas the Old Testament was about continual forgiveness and temporal forgiveness. But he poured into Paul the ascended Jesus. He, he gave Paul the understanding of this New Testament of grace poured out in the blood of Jesus. And that's what the writer of Hebrews expounds on, the blood of Jesus. I think the word blood is used about 18 times in the book of Hebrews to establish the New Testament, to bring full forgiveness and complete cleansing of sins. The writer of Hebrews had amazing insight into this New Testament of grace, and then he, he gets out the information on the New Testament through a letter, through writings, whether it was one complete writing at one time or a series of teachings that Paul gave and Luke recorded or that Luke heard Paul giving and then Luke gives it out, or somebody else of, of some highly intelligent person maybe that Paul personally discipled in, in this message who could get out that message as well. But it was the message that Paul speaks about here in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 25, this message of the New 
testament of grace. And again, Paul explains the content of that, much of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 1 all the way to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. This New Testament or New Covenant of Grace, the writer of Hebrews writes about it in Hebrews 12, 20 through 23. And I want us to compare Hebrews 12, 20 through 23 with what Paul wrote in Galatians 4, 24 through 26. They're very, very similar. And they're worth taking a look at as we seek to examine if Paul could have possibly been the writer of Hebrews. Look what Hebrews says in 12, 20, 20 through 23. The writer of Hebrews says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they cannot bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling in fear. That was when Moses was given the law recorded in, in Exodus chapter 19, chapter 20. He's writing to the Jewish people, the writer of Hebrews, and he says, you, you haven't come to the law of Moses and to Mount Sinai where the law was given and there was fear and death. You've come to, starting in Hebrews 12, 22, but you've come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And we've covered these verses in our teachings prior to this study tonight. So you can go back and listen to those teachings. Fascinating, the content of, of these. But it says, you've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new testament. That's why we've named this study Jesus, the mediator of a New Testament, because that's what this book is about. The Old Testament of law is gone. The New Testament of grace has come. And you've come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than that of the blood of Abel. Now, notice in Hebrews 12, 20 through 24, the writer writes about two covenants, two mountains, and two cities. Paul does the exact same thing in Galatians 4, 24 through 26. Paul writes, these things are being taken figuratively. The women represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai. One bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. That's the earthly city of Jerusalem, the city of law. The heavenly city of Jerusalem is the city of grace. We just looked at that in Hebrews 12. Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. The city of Jerusalem on earth is a city of law. The city of Jerusalem in heaven is a city of grace. Paul says that in verse 26 of Galatians 4. The Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. So what Paul's referencing here is two covenants, two mountains, two cities, and it's exactly what the writer of Hebrews did in Hebrews 12, 20 through 24, contrasting law and grace, Old Testament, New Testament, bondage to the old, freedom in the new. Let's look at some more comparisons between the writer of Hebrews and Paul's writings. Comparison number one, the use of the word son in Hebrews chapter one and Hebrews chapter two, compared with Paul's emphasis on the son in Colossians 1, 15 through 19, as well as Paul's emphasis on the Son in his other letters. 
Paul references the Son about 18 times in his letters. Hebrews references the Son about 18 times as well. We see in Acts 9.22 and Acts 13.33, Paul teaching in the Jewish synagogues that Jesus was the Son of God. Both the writer of Hebrews and Paul quote Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, when teaching that Jesus is the Son. You can look at that in Hebrews 1.5 and Acts 13.33, that comparison. But the writer of Hebrews and Paul present Jesus as becoming fully human. The writer of Hebrews does so in Hebrews 2. Paul does so in Philippians 2, 6 through 11. All right, the second comparison is the use of the word sat by the writer in Hebrews. Jesus sat down, Hebrews 1, 3, 8, 1, 10, 12, and 12, 2. And the use of the word seated by Paul, Ephesians 1, 20, 2, 6, and Colossians 3, 1. When the work of Jesus was finished, he sat down. And then Paul in Ephesians says, we have been seated with Christ his work has been finished on our behalf. Stop trying to work for forgiveness and work for, for righteousness and work for acceptance with God. Jesus did all that for you, and he sat down, and Paul says, now you've come to faith in Christ. You're seated with Christ. You are forgiven. You are righteous. You are pure. You are clean. You are holy. You have been seated. His work was done for you. He finished his work, and now you rest in the finished work of Christ. Comparison number three is the use of the word adelphos, meaning brother or brethren. The use of the word adelphos by the writer of Hebrews to refer to the unbelieving Jewish brothers in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, and Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, and how Paul used the word adelphos when he referred to the Jewish unbelievers in Acts 13, 15 through 38, Acts 22, 1. Acts 22, 1, 5, 23, 1, 5, 6, Acts 28, 17, and Romans 9, 3. Using the word adephos to refer to the unbelieving Jews, Paul did the same thing as the writer of Hebrews. I write more fully about that or and teach more fully on that in Hebrews number 5, teaching number 5. If somebody wants to listen to my understanding of, of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. All right, well, let's continue to compare the writings of Paul and the writings of the author of Hebrews. Comparison number four is the teaching about righteousness in Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, in comparison to Paul's teachings about righteousness in Romans, Galatians, and Philippians chapter 3. And again, I've expounded on Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 in a previous teaching. Comparison number five is the use of the promise made to Abraham in Hebrews 6, 13 through 15, and Hebrews 11, 8 through 12, and Hebrews 11, 17 through 19 by the writer of Hebrews, and the use of the promise made to Abraham in Galatians 3 and Romans 4. Comparison number six is the use of the word blood for the forgiveness of sins by the writer of Hebrews and by Paul. You can look in Hebrews 9 through 10, Hebrews 12, 24, 13, 12, and 20, Romans 3, 25, 5, 9, Ephesians 1, 6 through 7, Ephesians 2, 13, Colossians 1, 14, and Colossians 1, 20 about the blood of Jesus. I think I said earlier the, blood, the word blood had been used 18 times in the book of Hebrews. I don't, I don't think that's right. I think it's more like five times uh, that it's been used, which and they would be in those verses that I just shared with you. The seventh comparison of the writer of Hebrews and Paul 
is the athletic analogies to illustrate spiritual truth. Now, this is a really interesting one. The writer of Hebrews uses two athletic illustrations. The majority of Paul's illustrations in his letters were athletic illustrations. He loved sports, which is why I think he and Timothy got along so much together, because Timothy loved sports as well. Remember, Paul wrote to Timothy, hey, training is good. Physical training is good, Timothy. And I'm not telling you to stop training and exercising physically because that is good for you. But, but Timothy, study the scriptures as well because you're a pastor and you've got to help people understand this New Testament of grace. You've got to help people understand the Jewish scriptures, how, how the law is shadows that point to Jesus how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies. So devote time to studying Scripture as well. And that's what Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself approved. That's not a blanket verse to all believers, that pastors put believers under the guilt and shame because they're not studying the Scriptures. That was specifically by Paul to Timothy, to tell Timothy, hey, learn the Jewish Scriptures, learn how they point to Jesus, be very familiar with them, educate people about the Jewish scriptures, about the coming New Testament of grace that Jeremiah talked about. But Paul and Timothy had a really good relationship, and one of the things they had in common was a love for sports. We see Paul's use of the illustration of an athlete, of a runner in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Paul says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Hebrews 12, 23 says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet. That's a running illustration there. So we find that one of Paul's favorite illustrations in his writings is that of a runner. Acts 20, 24, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 26, 2 Timothy 4, 7, Philippians 3, 13 through 14, Galatians 2, 2, Galatians 5, 7. And then if Paul wrote Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, and Hebrews 12, 12 through 13. All right, comparison number eight is the emphasis on sexual morality by the writer of Hebrews and by Paul. You can look in Hebrews 12, 16, 13, 4, and then in Romans 13, 13, 1 Corinthians 5, 1, 1 Corinthians 6, 13, and 18, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 2, 10, 8. 2 Corinthians 12, 21, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, Ephesians 5, 3, Colossians 3, 5. Both the writer of Hebrews and Paul puts an emphasis on sexual morality in such a sexual immoral world during the Roman culture. Comparison number nine is the use of the word grace by the writer of Hebrews and by Paul. The word grace is used eight times in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, 4, 16, 10, 29. Hebrews 12, 15, 12, 28, Hebrews 13, 9, and Hebrews 13, 25. Paul used the word grace about 140 times in his letters, more than any other writer of the scriptures. Comparison number 10 is, is the request for prayer by the writer of Hebrews and by Paul. You can read about these prayer requests in Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 18 through 19. And Paul has prayer requests in Romans 15, 30 through 32, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 10 through 11, Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, Philippians 1, 19, Colossians 4, 2 through 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, 25, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, and Philemon 1, 22. All right. 
Comparison number 11 is the use of the phrase, the God of peace by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 20. Paul also uses that phrase in Romans 15, 13, 15, 33, 16, 20, 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Philippians 4, 9, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. The 12th comparison is the use of the word conscience by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 18, as he desired to have a clear conscience. Paul used that phrase as well in Acts 23, 1, 24, 16, Romans 9, 1, 1 Corinthians 4, 4, 2 Corinthians 1, 12, 2 Timothy 1, 3. Uh, Peter used clear conscience as well, as did Paul. Paul used the word conscience about 17 times in his letters. The writer of Hebrews uses the word conscience about three times. Comparison number 13 is the use of the phrase, it is God who works in you or God who works in us. That's found in Hebrews 13, 21. Paul uses a similar phrase in Ephesians 3.20 and Philippians 2.13. Comparison number 14 is the use of the phrase to the glory of God that is found in Hebrews 13.21 by the writer of Hebrews and the use of the phrase to the glory of God by Paul in Romans 11.36, Romans 16.27, 2 Corinthians 4.15, Galatians 1.5, Ephesians 1.12, Ephesians 1.14, Ephesians 3.21, Philippians 4.20, 1 Timothy 1.17, and 2 Timothy 4.8. Uh, comparison number 15 is the writer of Hebrews mentions Timothy in Hebrews 13.12. Paul mentions Timothy 17 times in his letters. Paul was Timothy's mentor in the faith, and upon the, the soon-to-be death of Paul in 2 Timothy, he hands the baton of grace to Timothy to take that message of grace as he did, and to educate others about it, who would then be able to educate others. That's 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. And then Paul and Timothy, they traveled together on missionary journeys and would often meet up together at a designated place to travel together. That's found in Acts 17, 5 and Acts 18, 5. Comparison number 16, the writer of Hebrews sends greetings in his concluding remarks in Hebrews 13, 24. Paul often sent greetings in his concluding remarks as well. You can see that in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 22, 1 Corinthians 16, 19 through 20, 2 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13, Philippians 4, 21 through 22, Colossians 4, 14 through 15, 1 Thessalonians 5, 26, 2 Timothy 4, 19, and Titus 3, 15. Comparison number 17, the writer refers to those receiving his letter or his teachings as saints in Hebrews 13, 24. Paul addresses believers as saints in his letters about 40 times. Comparison number 18 is the identification of those from Italy in Hebrews 13, 24. We see in Acts 18, 1 through 2, that Paul met people from Italy while on his missionary journeys. Also in Acts 27, 1 and 27, 6, Paul sailed to Italy. He was imprisoned in Italy. So it would have been normal for Paul in his greetings to, to greet those from Italy or those from Italy send you their greetings. That would have been very normal had Paul written Hebrews. Comparison number 19 is the use of the phrase, grace be with you, to close out Hebrews and that Paul uses to close out his letters. Sometimes Paul writes the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, as well as grace be with you. Uh, Hebrews 13, 25, Romans 16, 20, 1 Corinthians 16, 23, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, 
Galatians 6.18, Ephesians 6.24, Philippians 4.23, Colossians 4.18, 1 Thessalonians 5.28, 2 Thessalonians 3.18, 1 Timothy 6.21, 2 Timothy 4.22, Titus 3.15, Philemon 1.25. Now, John also closes out the book of Revelation with the phrase, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all the saints. So it wasn't unique with Paul. We see John using it as well. Now, if Paul and Luke are not the writers of Hebrews, and we just went over all these comparisons, and it's the high probability that Paul was the writer of Hebrews, or possibly Luke who heard Paul, and, or maybe who took the messages of Paul and hand-copied them. But if Paul and Luke are not the writer of he- writers of Hebrews, then possibly someone who was directly influenced by Paul likely wrote Hebrews. Someone like Apollos, who was very educated in the Jewish scriptures. He was taught by Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila was taught by Paul. Paul probably taught Apollos as well. You can read about Apollos in Acts 18.24, Acts 19.1, 1 Corinthians 1.12, 1 Corinthians 3.4-6, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, also 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 22, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 16, 12, and Titus 3, 13. I want us to look at three frequently asked questions when it comes to Hebrews about the writer. Question number one, if Paul wrote Hebrews, why didn't he identify himself at the beginning? And why did he not sign his name in concluding Hebrews? Well, Paul was hated among the Jewish people. You can read about that in Acts 21. You can read about it throughout all of Acts. Many Jewish believers in Jesus despise Paul, and the unbelievers despise Paul. If there's anything a Jewish believer and a Jewish unbeliever had in common, it was their hatred for Paul. The heart of the writer of Hebrews is to educate the Jewish people about the New Testament of grace. He's trying to motivate them, to inspire them, to educate them about the New Testament of grace so they'll leave the Old Testament of law and they'll find salvation in the work of Christ rather than trying for salvation through the law of Moses. Had Paul identified himself as the writer, people wouldn't have read the letter because they hated Paul so much. Why do I want to read something that Paul's written? So in order to let people just see the information, read the information, he had to remove his name from it so that people would take an honest look and an honest read about the letter. Why didn't he sign it in conclusion with his name like he did his other letters? Well, for a couple of reasons, the people receiving the letter knew who was, who was doing the writing. So there were some caretakers of the letter, whatever assembly he's writing to, they were caretakers of the letter. Or maybe he's even taught in an assembly and somebody's writing down what he's saying. There were some people who knew that that message was from Paul, but not the masses. And and those who are receiving the letter, whether in one written form or bit by bit and piece by piece, they knew it came from Paul because of the way Hebrews 13 ends. Also, Paul doesn't have his name in there because he's he's not writing to a specific church like in Philippi or in Ephesus. It's a letter with a broader appeal. It's an evangelistic letter to a large group of, of unbelieving Jews, and 
and believing Jews who are considering going back to the law of Moses. It's not really to a specific church that, hey, it's Paul. It's an evangelistic presentation of the New Testament, and he wants people to read it so he doesn't put his name on it because he's so hated by the Jewish nation. Question number two, doesn't the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 2, 1 through 4 indicate he never met Jesus but only heard about Jesus from those who were eyewitnesses of Jesus? If so, then how could the writer be Paul if Paul did meet Jesus since Jesus personally appeared to Paul? Well, in Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, it's a reference to the earthly life of Jesus. Paul had never met the earthly Jesus, only the heavenly Jesus. And this is a reference to people who actually met the earthly Jesus and who heard the earthly Jesus. It's much like Ephesians 4, 20 through 21, when Paul writes this. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And again, here in Ephesians 4, 20 through 21, Paul's talking about the earthly Jesus. He's talking about the morality of Jesus and how Jesus is a model of morality for the Ephesian believers. And he's pointing people back to the earthly Jesus who they would, would have heard about from people who may have seen the earthly Jesus or they knew people who knew the earthly Jesus and the moral life that he lived is kind of very similar to what the writer of Hebrews is doing in Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, and Ephesians 4, 20 through 21 with Paul. Same with the word we. The word we in Hebrews 2, 1 through 4 is a national Jewish we. I write about that in my book, Forgiven and Cleansed, 1 John 1, 9 in context. I go into great detail in that book about it. So Hebrews 2, 1 through 4 is not a proof text that Paul did not write. Hebrews. Question number three, if Paul wrote Hebrews, where did he write it from? Well, it's possible that he wrote it from Rome, which would help us understand those from Italy greet you in the concluding remarks of Hebrews 13. There was a small window of time from AD 62 to AD 66 when Paul had been released from prison in Rome when he could have written Hebrews. And then, of course, he could have written Hebrews during his imprisonment while in Rome. Luke was with him while Paul was in prison in Rome. That's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, which then could explain why some early church historians claim that Paul wrote Hebrews in the Hebrew language. Then Luke translated it into Greek. They would have had plenty of time to do that during that time of imprisonment in Rome. Now, Clement of Alexandria, who we spoke of at the beginning of this teaching, wrote the following and he's being quoted by Eusebius in Eusebius's book, Church History. Here's what Eusebius writes. He, Clement, says that the epistle to the Hebrews is the work of Paul, and that it was written to the Hebrews in the Hebrew language, but that Luke translated it carefully and published it for the Greeks. And hence, the same style of expression is found in this epistle, Hebrews, and in the Acts that were written by Luke. That's what Eusebius, who wrote church history, said about the book of Hebrews in quoting Clement of Alexandria. So what do I believe personally about who wrote Hebrews? Honestly, probably maybe if I had to lean to somebody, it'd be Paul, but I really don't have a, a, a major opinion about it one way or the other. For me, the question is not who wrote Hebrews. I've got some other questions. And several of the questions are this. 
Why is the New Testament so misunderstood and misapplied by modern-day scholars, teachers, believers, and readers when it's been so clearly explained by the writer of Hebrews? Why is the Old and New Testament by these scholars and by these teachers and by these pastors and by believers in Christ and by those in Sunday school classes and small groups, why is the Old and New Testaments viewed as books of the Bible in the table of contents when clearly Hebrews teaches that the Old Testament is about the continual forgiveness of sins when animals were sacrificed? And the New Testament is about the complete forgiveness of sins through the final sacrifice of Jesus. Another question I have is this. Why is the New Testament viewed as starting in Matthew 1 as the first of 27 books when Hebrews clearly teaches the New Testament is not a set of 27 books, but it's about one Savior's blood poured out for the complete forgiveness of sins? Why is the birth of Jesus considered to be the beginning of the New Testament when Jesus himself teaches the New Testament begins with his death and when Hebrews clearly teaches that the New Testament begins with the death of Jesus? Another question I have is why, when you ask 99.9% of believers, tell me about the New Testament, why, why do they start with the birth of Jesus in Matthew 1 rather than at the cross of Jesus when Jesus was nailed to the cross. And the reason why is because most pastors, when you ask most pastors, tell me about the New Testament, they're going to start telling you about 27 books of the Bible rather than one Savior's blood. Another question I have is this, why is the earthly life of Jesus considered to be during the period of the New Testament, when clearly the animal sacrifices, the festivals, the Sabbaths, and the priesthood described in Leviticus was in full operation during the earthly life of Jesus. That's Matthew 5, 23 through 24, Matthew 8, 1 through 4, and Matthew 23, 1 through 3. Clearly, we see in Hebrews that the New Testament of grace did not go into effect until Jesus died. Jesus himself said that in Matthew 26 and in Luke 22. And the New Testament of grace was not in effect while Jesus was living. The Old Testament was in effect. And the Old Testament's not about books. It's about this system of the law of Moses explained in Exodus and Leviticus that was in place until Jesus died on the cross. A general reading of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John clearly reveals the law of Moses was in place during the life of Jesus on earth, which explains why Jesus told people to sacrifice animals in accordance with the law of Moses. That's Matthew 5, 3 and Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Matthew 8, 1 through 4. I may have got those verses mixed up a, a little bit there. Even though it is not clear who wrote Hebrews, it is very clear by the writer that the New Testament is not a set of books, but it is the Savior's blood that secured our eternal forgiveness of sins. Which leads me to one last question as we wrap up our teaching on Hebrews. Why do Bible teachers and pastors not teach what the New Testament really is? And here's what the New Testament really is. It's not books. It's the blood of Jesus, right? Here's what the New Testament really is. It's the eternal full forgiveness of sins, the eternal cleansing from sins, eternal closeness with God through the blood or through the death of Jesus. Why don't teachers and pastors teach that? If some do, if they do teach the eternal forgiveness of sins, then why do many place beside it the non-biblical teaching 
that unconfessed sins result in unforgiven sins that block fellowship with God. That is a foreign teaching in Scripture. It's nowhere in Hebrews. It's nowhere in the Bible to be found after Jesus established this New Testament in his blood. People misinterpret 1 John 1, 9 as teaching that. And again, I've written a book on that called Forgiven and Cleansed, 1 John 1, 9 in context. So in conclusion to our teaching on Hebrews, my heart is for believers and unbelievers alike to understand the heart of the writer of Hebrews more than who wrote Hebrews. The heart of the writer for the readers is this. He wants his readers to be educated about the New Testament of grace established in Jesus's blood for the eternal for forgiveness of sins, the eternal cleansing from sins, so they can experience closeness with God, with no fear of being out of fellowship with God because of unconfessed sins. And the heart of the writer of Hebrews is for the readers to embrace by faith in Jesus the New Testament of grace. And then he wants them to rest in the fullness of forgiveness of sins and complete cleansing from sins, knowing and confident that they're eternally close to God with no fear of being out of fellowship with God because of so-called unconfessed unforgiven sins. Well, you guys, thank you so much for being a part of this Hebrew study, Jesus, the mediator of a New Testament of grace. And for anyone that might be listening on a podcast or a video, you can go to my website, www.gracereach.org. There you'll find all the podcasts, all the videos, all the notes to this entire series, you can also go to my podcast, Grace Reach with Brad Robertson, my youth, YouTube channel, for all the teachings on Hebrews and, and many of other teachings that I have.